Hallelujah. God is so good. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, all the time. Every day, God is still God. This morning, we're still in our Ecclesiastes series. If you haven't been here, I talked to somebody this morning, and they said they've enjoyed this, ser- this series, and I've enjoyed it more. I'll have to say that. Studying Solomon's writings has really been incredible, because this guy is way above all of our heads. You might be the, the smartest person in the room, but when it comes to comparing you with Solomon, not to put you down, but nobody compares to the wisdom of Solomon. This morning, let me ask you as we get started, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but how many people have ever flown on an airplane? Anybody ever flown on an airplane? Most of us in the house have flown on an airplane at one time or another. Well, my son Austin and I, this past summer, we flew out to New York City on an airplane (laughs) to see my son Dustin, who lives in New York City. And you know, when I got on that plane, I realized something. The people on the plane and the people on the pews have a lot in common. They really do. For one thing, they're all on a journey, right? They're all going uh, somewhere. For another thing, some are dozing. (laughs) Some are drifting off. Some are in a mindless trance. A few are gazing out the window. But most of all, if most of them, if not all, are satisfied with a predictable experience. I mean, most people would say the mark of a good flight and the mark of a good worship service are the same. Nice. We like to say we had a good flight, a nice flight. We like to say we had a nice worship service. But you know the problem with our worship services sometimes? And I'm telling on me too. But we come into a service one way and we leave the exact same way. Unchanged, unmoved, unaltered. And then we're just happy to turn around next week and come back and do it all over again. I mean, think about this. If you enter any sanctuary, it doesn't even have to be ours, you see people that are smiling, some that are laughing or giggling. You see some that are kind of grumpy, and I'm not going to point you out today, or grouchy. You see all kinds of people. But by and large, you're going to see people that are content. We're content just to be in a church service. Some of us are content just to sit back and look ahead uh, until the service is over and then walk out the same way we walked in here. We're content to endure the church service. We're content with a nice service. But there are others that come into a church service that are looking for more, that are actually seeking for more. They're wanting more out of that church experience. And those are the people that are going to leave fired up and changed. Do you realize that? If you come in looking for something, I guarantee you God will not disappoint you because you've come in and you've experienced worship. You haven't just endured worship. God never created the church or the church services for us to just endure, to just us to white-knuckle it and get through. No, he didn't. that wasn't his design at all. The destination of any service is actually to meet God. Do you realize that? And as it is with any journey... In order for you to get to your destination, you have to prepare. You have to be prepared for that experience, that travel. That's why it's so important. Before you even come in here on a Sunday morning, you need to be prepared. You need to come in expecting. So let me ask you this. What does our spiritual flight checklist look like? What does it call for? I think it calls for preparation. That's why Solomon, the wisest, richest man in the world that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, I think gives us some pre-flight instructions 
on what to expect when you come into the house of God and how to encounter a holy God. Solomon, his book of Ecclesiastes was really an autobiography of his life, of what happened in his life when he stopped taking God seriously, when he stopped putting God first in his life. There was a time in Solomon's life that he not only put God first, but God was everything in his life. And then little by little, he started to satisfy or try to satisfy his life with everything else but God. He got serious about the wrong things, frivolous about the right things, and I'll just say that. That's when his life crashed and burned. That's when his life started taking a tailspin. But finally, in the end, he learned the hard way, after all that he went through, that life minus God is nothing. Life without God is actually meaningless. Solomon, if you read his text, he actually took time to watch how people were uh, coming to God in private, how people were coming to God in, in public. He saw people making the exact same mistake that he made. Not treating God the way God needed to be treated, deserved to be treated. He also sat outside the church and watched people go into the church. And there were a lot of people that were going into the church that had no idea why they were going into church. They didn't know why they were there, what they were doing. They had no idea who they were worshiping. They didn't really understand their role in life or God's role in their life. But listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. He says, guard your steps. Another translation says, watch your steps when you go into the house of God. He wasn't saying that because there was a slick floor and he was afraid someone would slip and do a face plant. He wasn't saying that at all. What he was saying is, do you realize how serious this moment is? Do you realize what you're about to do is serious? So you be serious about what you're about to do. There are a few principles that I believe Solomon brings out in the fifth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes that I want to bring out today. I want to bring out four things. But I think if you're taking notes, the first thing Solomon is trying to tell us is be careful how you enter the presence of God. Be careful how you actually come into the presence of God. Listen to what he says in the rest of that verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. That's critical. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. That phrase, guard your steps, actually means to proceed with reverence. Tiptoeing into the presence of God, you might say, with care and caution, okay? It means to be careful of what you're doing when you come into the house of God. In the Hebrew, it literally means pay attention to your steps. Pay attention to your feet, because the direction of your feet determine the direction of your life. And Solomon is basically saying, are you paying attention to your feet? Are your feet pointed toward the house of God? Are you walking to God, or are you walking away from God? Look at your feet, people. They'll tell you the direction of your life. Are you chasing God? Are you pursuing God? Are you adding those things into your life that stir up affection for God? Affection for Jesus? God was the actual architect that designed the amazing temple that Solomon built. We talked a few weeks ago about how Solomon, it took him seven years to build the house of God. I didn't fill you in on this at that time, but it took 153,000 workers seven years to build this amazing ancient wonder of the world. But the thing about the temple, it isn't a building that was needed by God. It was a building that was needed by God's people. 
God didn't need that. The creator of heavens and earth and all that is didn't need a building built by human hands. He created everything that was. But we needed it. We needed a building that we could come in. We needed a place that we could come in and actually meet with him. Because it's not about what's in this building that's important this morning. It's about who's in this building that's important. Amen? It's about who's in this building. And that's important if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. You know, our primary purpose when we walk in this building isn't just to sing a few songs, isn't just to see our friends, socialize a little bit, isn't, isn't even to do our religious duty, not even to hear a good sermon. Our primary purpose and primary reason for being in this service this morning is to encounter God, is to meet with the holy God that longs with all of his heart to meet with you and I. So I think when we come into the house of God, we should come in with reverence. We should come in with honor. We should come in with respect. The trouble is, so many times we do church as a lot of people do lunch, casually and kind of unprepared. And a lot of times, and I have to say this about my own heart, sometimes my heart on a Sunday morning is not where it needs to be. My mind is not where it needs to be. My reverence is not where it needs to be. My honor is not where it needs to be. Sometimes we come in here without any sense of reverence and honor to, and respect before God. How many of us have come into a church service and the last thing on your mind is, what am I going to hear from God today? I mean, I have to be honest, sometimes I get so busy going through the motions, even as a pastor, that I miss it. I don't take the time to prepare. I don't take the time to wait. So I know if I do that, I know without a doubt some of you are in the same boat. That's why many times I think people are unable to actually experience the presence of God in a way that stirs their heart, in a way that actually changes their life and gives them the real hunger for meaning and purpose that God so loudly wants to speak into our lives. I think we get so busy with the busyness of life that so much, many times we're not listening. How about Moses? Do you remember the time when Moses genuinely encountered God? He was out in the desert. He saw a burning bush. And when he realized that burning bush just wasn't a burning bush, it was the presence of God, do you know what he did? He took off his sandals. Too bad I don't have my slip-ons on today, amen? He took off his shoes. He took off his shoes because all of a sudden he re realized, wait a minute, I'm in the presence of a holy God and I'm standing on holy ground. I believe those shoes represented everything in Moses' life that was standing between him and God. Everything in Moses, everything in the world that Moses had allowed to come into his life that was keeping him from being all that God wanted him to be. So what's God telling us? Get rid of your own thinking sometimes. Get rid of everything of this world that's in your way, holding you back from being all that God wants you to be. Get rid of whatever stands in the way. Oh, God could push it out, but he's waiting for you and I to push it out. He's waiting for us to make a stand, to step up and change some things. So when we come into the house of God, we should come in to worship. And in order to do that, you've got to be prepared to worship. So let me just say this and try this next week. And some of you already do it, I know. But pray before you come so you can pray when you get here. Amen? Read your word before you come so when the word of God is spoken or read, your heart is sensitive to it. Your heart is moved. And go to bed early the night before so you're not sleeping through the service. I'll just say that, amen? Some pretty practical advice. But try this, come hungry. Come expecting God to speak. 
come expecting the God of the universe to do what only the God of the universe can do to reach into the crevices and the dark places of our lives and change the things that need to be changed. Give that a try. God will bless your effort. You may not think, I can even do that well enough. Well, God says you can. God doesn't. I don't believe He measures me any different than He measures you. I pray before I come in here. I pray through the week before I get here. I pray that, God, you'll be here before we get here so that you'll give the strength in the message, you'll give the strength in the service that it needs that will glorify you, that will honor you, that will praise your name. In every part of the service, we need to experience something from God. We need to expect something from God. So number one, watch your steps. You're still taking notes? Watch your words. How many know words are important? I said a little bit about that last week, but I kind of expound on it this week. Look what he says in verse 2. Don't make rash promises. And don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. He says, after all, God is in heaven and you're here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words makes you a fool. Solomon is basically saying the responsibility of us coming into the house of God as followers of Christ is to not be rash with our words. Be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Slow to speak, but quick to listen. And he says the words... He says, a fool uses many words. So I believe with that said, that when we're sitting in silence before God in any part of the service, listening for the Holy Spirit to speak, you know what we're doing actually? Without saying a word, we're worshiping. Some of us are locked into a mode that you have to hear a song like the devil is defeated or, or come to me or whatever it might be to worship God. You sitting in silence in anticipation of what God wants to tell you this morning because God is my witness. He wants to tell you things that only He can tell you that will change your lives in a way that only He can change them. I believe that with all my heart. So you got to tune in to God's wavelength. Shut everything out of your life. Solomon is saying that's our responsibility. That's what he's calling us to do. Whenever we sit in silence, when you're being quiet, listening to what I'm preaching, you're actually worshiping God. Because you know something about worship? It's a response. Worship is a response to God for something He's already done. But the only trouble is a lot of us don't let Him do anything before we start our thing. Amen? We need to listen more before we speak. It's like those people. You've all had these phone calls that call you up and they talk for an hour and literally say nothing at all. And in the last 30 seconds of the conversation, they say, well, I just called you to find out who cuts your hair. I'm thinking, wait a minute, that could have been done in a text. Saved a lot of time, amen? But what I'm saying is that sometimes we think the more words, the better. Sometimes we think the more we speak and sound spiritual, the holier we are. And the more pleasing to God we are, and that we come in thinking we can impress God. That's the problem. We come in thinking we can impress God. That's not the way it works. It's never worked that way. It was never designed that way. We were never created that way. In fact, Jesus, and I'll paraphrase this, he says over in the New Testament, he basically says, hey, people, do me a favor. Forget the eloquent speech. Forget the eloquence. Let's get down to honesty. Forget all that sounding good. Let's just get out down to the nitty-gritty of what you're trying to say and quit clouding your prayers with things you think I want to hear. How many times have you done that? I have done it. I am already trying to think, outthink God. And I'm trying to tell him what I think I think he wants to know. Oh, don't, don't go there. 
Because you're way behind God. Amen? Reminds me of a Sunday school class where a teacher was teaching her little five-year-olds where God lives. And she asked her class, where do you think God lives? One little girl in the front row stood up and said, oh, God lives in heaven. And little Johnny on the back row stood up and he's shaking his head no. And the teacher looks at him and says, Johnny, you don't think uh, God lives in heaven? She said, where does he live? He says, he lives in my bathroom at home. The teacher says, lives in your bathroom at home? How do you know that? He said, because every morning my dad stands outside the door and he shouts, my God, are you still in there? (laughs) God could be in the bathroom, but he's not, amen? (laughs) I came across a good acronym on prayer. Whenever we come into God's presence and approach Him, we need to come with reverence and honor. But listen to this, we need to start with praise. The Bible tells us that. In Psalm 100, verse 4, one of my favorite scriptures says, we are to enter His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Another verse, Psalms 22, verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of His people. What does inhabit mean? It means to live in. God lives in the praises of His people. If you want to get your heart more off of yourself and off of your problem and more on God, what should you start doing? Praising Him. Start praising Him and all of a sudden that problem gets a whole lot smaller. That difficulty, that mountain gets a whole lot smaller. And when you know that, your your prayers actually stop being me-oriented and start being God-oriented. They stop being about me and all I want. They start being about Him. The second one is R for repent. You know, every day, and I say this multiple times a day, but I say, Lord God, forgive me for everything I've said, done, or thought. Everything in my heart that's displeasing to you. I believe we ought to make that a regular part of our prayer life. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. To me, when I hear that, I'm thinking, He's not even obligated to listen if I'm, uh, I've got unconfessed sin in my life. Oh, He will, but He's not obligated. And he's not obligated to answer that prayer if I've got unconfessed sin in my life. So we need to take and let there be a spiritual cleansing take place in our lives when we're coming nearer to the throne of God. And I believe prayer is a powerful tool. It can expose the things in our life that we're resisting about God. It can can expose the things of life that we're rejecting about God, that we're rebelling against God. The third one is ask. We all know that scripture, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. God says if you'll ask and seek and knock and you'll keep asking and you'll keep seeking and you'll keep knocking, keep asking, seeking, and knocking, you're going to get your answer. Oh, it may not be what you think your answer should be, but you're going to get His answer. I'll put it that way. You're going to get the right answer. Because God knows everything that's going on in our heart. You're not telling Him anything new. But listen to Psalm 38, verse 9. All my longings, the psalmist said, lie open before you. He's saying, I'm not hiding anything from you, God. It's all open before you. I'm an open book. He said, my sighing is not hidden from you. He's saying, my troubles aren't even hidden from you. You realize God gives us access to Him 24-7 to bring our needs, to bring our frustrations, to bring our problems before Him. And the last one to finish out this acronym of pray is yield. Yield the answer, the outcome, and the timing over to God. Yield it all over to God. Yield your mind, your heart, your spirit, your life, your plans over to His greater plans and His purposes. You know, I think the fact that we brought our prayers to Him in the first place is showing that we're going to trust you, God, for your timing 
and for your will to be done. This may not work out when I think it should or how I think it should, but I'm going to trust you, God, in your way to bring the answer that I need for my life. Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalmist says, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Can you imagine how that could change your life if we would give ourselves new and fresh to God every morning? Say, God, guide my steps. Show me where to walk. Show me where to go and where not to go. It could change your whole day, change the outcome of your day. My main point number three, mean what you say. When you say something, mean what you say. I think what Solomon's about to tell us in this next verse is kind of embarrassing to some of us because I would say all of us. Because all of us, at some time or another in our lives, we've made promises to God that we haven't kept. We've actually made vows to God that we haven't uh, followed through with. Look at verse 4. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in in fools. Fulfill your vow. He says, it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Did you hear that? It's better not to make the promise in the first place than to make it and not fulfill it. And I think all of us would realize and say today that we're living in a culture when promises don't mean what they used to mean. Amen? When promises don't go as far as they used to. In fact, I heard a quote that said, promises are made to be broken. You know, we may not take words seriously, but God takes our words seriously. And if we make a commitment to Him, we make a promise to Him, we make a vow to Him, guess what? He expects us to keep it. We might forget it. God doesn't forget it. I know you've heard of what some call the jailhouse religion. What that's saying is a lot of times when we get into the deepest holes and crevices and dark places in our lives, we make promises to God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Help me out of this situation. But then when things get better, we kind of forget our promise. Amen? Well, God doesn't forget the promise. We made a promise. God expects us to keep it. Remember the scripture I read a few minutes ago. One day we will give an answer for every idle word and especially every promise that we've made to God. Someday we're going to give, we're going to be responsible for every idle word that we've made to God. So if you promise to serve Him, what should we do? Serve Him. If we promise to do this for Him, what should we do? Do this for Him. Because He's already done that for us, amen? A lot of times we make conditions on it. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that for you. Sometimes he does this for us, and we're not faithful to him. And if we don't do that, guess what? There's consequences, because an unkept vow is actually, you might say, a lie. And lies are a sin, bringing on the judgment of God. So today, I wonder how many of us as God's people are in some trouble today, because we made some promises to God that we haven't kept. We made vows to God that we didn't keep. God can't bless disobedience. Do you realize that? doesn't mean he loves you any less, but God can't bless disobedience. And I believe he'll allow some things into, come into our life, even some hard times sometimes, to get our focus back on the promise, get our focus back on the vow. So he's saying, watch your step number one, watch your words number two, and be careful what you tell God. Be careful what you promise God. And don't promise God things that you're not willing to. To fulfill. So let me ask you today, check your heart. Is there anything unfinished in your life? Is there anything in your life that maybe you told God 25 years ago you were going to do that you haven't done? Is there any unfinished business in your life, unfulfilled things in your life? God's a God of a second chance, aren't you glad? And I believe He's giving you a second chance today to step back into that promise you made and make it right. God's not defined by time. We are, but He's not. 
So if you made that promise 20 years ago, it's as still real to God as it was then. If you promise to God to give Him all your heart, give Him all your heart. If you promise to serve Him, serve Him with all your heart. If you promised everything to God, give Him your everything. And think about it. God keeps every promise He's ever made to us. He's kept every promise He's ever made to me. And He expects me to keep every promise I've ever made to Him. If you made it, you keep it. Amen? I didn't say it'd be easy. I didn't say it'd be comfortable. I said, if you make a promise to God, a vow to God, keep it. And he also says, if you make a promise to me, don't hesitate or procrastinate in keeping that promise, hoping things will change down the road, hoping things will change and maybe God will forget about the whole promise. That's why, again, verse 5 is so important. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. It's better not to make a promise, okay? It's better not to get yourself in trouble. Don't make a promise before God that you can't keep or you're not willing to keep. I can't tell you as a pastor how many people I have heard say, if God will just heal me, I'll live for Him, I'll serve Him all the days of my life. If God will just heal a family member of mine, I'll live for Him. If God will just do this, I'll do that. And God every time does this. And we don't do that. So many times we don't keep our end of the bargain. I'm sure all of us can remember a time that we made a promise to God because we were in trouble, and we made that promise because we were in trouble. Listen to Psalm 66, verse 13. Psalmist says, Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. Sometimes we make the biggest promises when we're in the deepest trouble. And so many times, and it's only by the grace of God that He gives us more time to fulfill it. But so many times we make vows, we make commitments, we make promises. Pledges, vows are pledges and promises that we make not only to God, but to others, right? Probably the greatest example of this is a wedding, a marriage. We've all been to weddings. We've seen uh, the husband and wife or the, the bride and the groom stand facing each other in the presence of God, facing each other with the pastor right there, facing each other with their, their uh, attendants there and their witnesses there. Making promise to love, honor, cherish, protect, till death do us part. But sometimes it doesn't even last through the honeymoon. Do you realize that? And the sad part is, the result is broken families, broken hearts, broken lives. And it could have all been avoided. It could have all been avoided if the husband and wife would have just kept their vows to each other. It could have been avoided if they would have kept their vows to God. Amen? if they would have just kept to their word. Today, let me just say this, and I know it's not always possible, but if you've made a vow or a promise, even a wedding situation, if at all possible, unless God releases you from that, I think you should do everything you can under your power and under His power to hold things together. I'm just saying, I believe that's the ultimate plan of God. I'm not saying it always works that way, but I'm saying that's the grand design of things. That's how God would like to see it go. So when you keep a promise, I believe it allows us to look in the mirror and not we're not hiding anything. I'm a person of integrity. What I tell you I'm going to do, I'm going to do. You can count on me when I tell you something that I'm going to be there to do it. This is why Solomon ends this passage with two simple words. Catch these at the end of this phrase. He says, for many dreams bring futility, so do many words. He says, therefore fear God. He's not talking about being afraid of God. He's not talking about dread or terror. He's saying, show God holy awe. Show show God holy reverence, respect, and honor. 
I think far too often, even myself, we're kind of flippant when it comes to God. We treat Him so casually. We take Him so lightly. We think of God as our buddy or our pal. Do you realize who He is? He's the eternal God in heaven that created the heavens and the earth that all that is. He created all of that. And we treat Him sometimes like He's not even worth talking to. He created all of that. He says we need to fear God. And all fearing God means is remembering who He is and remembering who we are. That puts it in perspective. Are you giving Him the devotion, your surrender, your appreciation, your love that He deserves? Today, that temple that Solomon built that took all that manpower and all those years to build as a place for people to worship doesn't even exist anymore. Do you realize it's a pile of rubble right now? It's a pile of rubble. And that's okay. That was part of God's plan too. Because he realized 2,000 plus years ago when he sent his son Jesus, we weren't going to need a temple to worship God anymore. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he said it is finished, it was finished. Because you know what happened? The veil in the temple, this veil that they said was so woven together couldn't even been pulled apart by horses and chariots, that veil when he said it is finished and he died on the cross, it ripped in half, opening a way for God's people to come to God. No longer were the priests only allowed to go in once a year to the Holy of Holies and everybody else had to stay in the outer courts. No, when that temple was rent, when Jesus went to the cross, when he paid that debt for every one of us, that, that garment, that veil... That curtain was torn, inviting you and me to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ that was never possible before. Oh, they tried to make it possible with animals, the blood of animals, but it was the blood of Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus that did it all. It was the blood of Jesus that said, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be the Lamb of God. And I'm going to give my life to you so that you can step through what used to be a veil and boldly, it says, come into the presence of God. Do you realize what a privilege that is? When God says you can boldly come. You can run if you want. You can jump if you want. You don't have to go through the priest anymore. You don't have to go through the motions anymore. You can come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. You can come unto me and my arms are wide open. And I'm going to love you. With a love and a plan that God had from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fell... God still had the plan. He knew what Jesus was going to do years later. And he waited for the perfect timing. He waited for the timing to come. Do you realize we're living in that dispensation? How many times do you realize that my God went to the cross for me? My God left heaven and became a human being for me to take on my frailties, take on my weaknesses, and to forgive my sins and to open a door that could never have been opened before. So this morning, I guess I'm saying we don't need that temple that Solomon built anymore. We don't even need this building anymore. We need Him. We need God in all of His power, in all of His mercy. Do you realize that every day, God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, gives us the chance to make everything count for Him? To make everything we do an opportunity to approach Him an opportunity to uh, serve Him, to love Him. But the truth is, when we die, you know, we're going to stand before a holy God. This world is going to stand before a holy God, and we're going to give an account of what we did with every idle word, like it said, but we're also given, going to give an account what we did with God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Did you make Him Lord of your life? 
Have you made Him Lord of your life this morning? You know, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And I believe when Jesus sat down at the supper uh, with His disciples, the joy of His heart would have been to sit with the world. And really, in the bigger picture, He was sitting with the world. He's wanting to invite you to His table today. I know that Kim mentioned if you've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, we invite you to uh, share in this uh, communion. Today you can make Jesus Lord of your life. So right now, even at the end of this service, I'm going to have you bow your heads real quick. And if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to invite Him into your life because I know His presence is here. I know He's pulling on hearts. Maybe you've been running from God a long time. Maybe you've been going in all the wrong directions. God is saying, look at me. Come to me. So this morning, could you just repeat this prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice, for giving your life in place of mine, for taking my sin in place of mine. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. I believe Solomon is actually telling all of us today it's time to quit playing games. Quit playing games with God. You know, we love to have fun here at Victory Church. Not many people play the devil is defeated, right? I mean, they don't, the way we play it anyway. We like to have fun. And God's not against having fun and, and being joyous in a service. But I believe with all of my heart, He wants the base foundation to be one of reverence and honor. One that will love Him and realize who He is. Because when we approach God with respect and honor, He wants to take us on an amazing journey. God has an amazing journey for you and me, those that will just trust in Him. John was on that journey. John the Revelator. John the Apostle. Listen to what he says when he experienced Jesus in Revelations 1.14. I'll close. The hair on his head, he's talking about Jesus, was white like wool. As white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. He said, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John realized there's nothing mundane about Jesus. Amen? There's nothing boring about Jesus. So try this next week. When you come into worship, come expecting. Come trusting that God is going to knock your socks off. Amen? God's going to do something amazing that only He can do. So this morning, I want you to stay seated. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and prepare uh, to wait upon uh, us for the uh, communion this morning. But as they're coming, the praise team's going to come. We're going to sing a song called Come to Me. And these are basically the words of, of Jesus saying, come to me. I believe that we'll, if we do that, we'll experience him in a way that we've never experienced him before. And after this message, you've heard today my prayers that we'll see everything in a different way. We'll all see Jesus in a clearer way. We'll see worship in a clearer way. 
we'll see this communion in a clearer way, that this is actually an act of worship. Do you realize this? This is probably one of the premium acts of worship, remembering what God did on the cross through Jesus Christ. So this morning, I would like to ask you to wait till we're all served, then I'll bless the elements and we'll share them uh, together.